Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, so I'm glad you're here. Uh, this, is, this is called Zman Simchasenu, the time of our happiness, which is just awesome. That, 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 that's a fantastic thing. Basically, it all ties in with Yom Kippur. In other words, there's no coincidence the fact that Yom Kippur just came and this is the time of our happiness. Because right now we're in this divine equilibrium. Body and soul are like basically centered right now. And a person is naturally happy. That, that's the idea. So you've gotten rid of all of your, your sort of like extraneous junk that's weighing you down. And a lot of people don't understand what Yom Kippur is all about. See, most people think that Yom Kippur is all about the past. In other words, I did this and I did that, and I'm sorry for this, and I'm sorry for that, and can I leave the temple now? <laughs> you know, have, I, have I done my penance? Have I done my work? And can I get back to my life? So, so that would be unfortunate if that's what people thought. Um, because the idea is that we really need Yom Kippur more for our future. In other words... The idea is that you've got this holy, glowing piece of God inside of you. That's your soul. That's the essence of you. That's the real you. And then, unfortunately, these sort of like coverings, like wrongdoing, whatever it is, separations, whatever vocabulary you want to use to describe it, come between you and yourself. And so to the point where you almost can't hear the voice of your own soul anymore. It can get that bad. And so... So we need to hear our own voice. We need to hear what our souls are telling us. And so that's the glory, if you will, of Yom Kippur. What Yom Kippur is coming is, like, imagine, let me give you a visual. Imagine cargo pants. Those things have a zillion pockets in them. And every single day, like a little bit of sand is put in some of the pockets, now, can you imagine over time, a little more sand, a little more sand, a little more sand? Sand is heavy. That's why they have things called sandbags, because sand is heavy. So after a year's time, can you imagine how weighed down you are? You can hardly move. So comes Yom Kippur, and God, so to speak, grabs us by the ankles, turns us upside down, and shakes all of the sand out of our pockets, and we can move again. We can hear our own voice again. And a lot of people, they want to know, what's the, why are we reading about Yonah on Yom Kippur? Because it, the connection isn't so obvious. So believe it or not, the Vilna Gon says that Yonah is, is, among other things, is about reincarnation. And how is it like reincarnation? Because Yonah gets swallowed by the whale, and that's like death. And then he gets re-energized in terms of what his mission is, and he gets spit out from the whale, and now he's reborn, so to speak, and he can pursue what his mission was all along. And so he gets spit out of the whale, and he rededicates himself to his mission. Now, 
listen to how that fits in with Yom Kippur and what we were just talking about, hearing your own soul again after Yom Kippur, because it all connects really, really, really nicely. The idea is on Yom Kippur, you are, so to speak, reincarnated, but you're reincarnated as yourself. (laughs) In other words, your soul gets so clean and so unblocked that you can rehear what it is your mission is so that you can now pursue it. And now you have the wherewithal to pursue it because you're completely unburdened by any of the blockage. That, that the wrongdoing or mistakes or wh- whatever it is, lack of intention, wh- again, whatever word you want to put on it, lack of connection. And now, not only are you reminded what it is I have to do in this world, but now I can do it. Is there any doubt that after that comes Zman Simcha Seinu, the time of our happiness? Is there any question that one leads directly into the other. So, in other words, true happiness, from this context, we're hearing something special right now. True happiness is being reacquainted with what one's mission is and re-enabled to be able to execute. That's, That's ultimate happiness. What am I doing here? And let me do it already. And I mentioned before, I just learned from Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. He says, how do you know what your mission is? Because we're talking about reacquainting yourself with your mission and and becoming re-energized and and re-enabled to be able to perform it. So he says just so elegantly, so succinctly, that it's, it's when these two things meet, that's how you know what your mission is. You ready? When what you want to do meets what needs to be done. I'll say it again. When what you want to do meets what needs to be done. So that is an awesome formula for being able to really be able to tap into what your purpose is. And he says, and it can change over time. So in other words, don't don't overthink it. Don't overthink it like, is that, well, I like to do this, but I also like to do that. Well, what do you like to do right now? <laughs> you know, I, I along those lines, I heard something very interesting. For people who want to get married out there, one of the challenging things is, especially if you're kind of very spiritual, is you want to marry your soulmate. But it creates a whole set of challenges, which is, how do I know if that person's my soulmate? And then you can drive yourself absolutely crazy. And you can also drive yourself into a state of paralysis, right? I, I once heard this phrase. I always liked it. Paralysis by analysis. Did you, did you ever hear that before? <laughs> like you're, you, you think that you're like a step ahead because you're being very analytical. But the, the analysis itself is stopping you from actually being productive. So it's ultimately not very good. So I heard a rabbi say very, very simply, I I wish I could tell you who it was, but it was someone who I definitely respected. And he he said the following, in today's day and age, you know how you know who your soulmate is? If you love them. Wow, that's 
nice and clear, isn't it? <laughs> that just super simple? If you love them, that's it. In other words, you don't have to go to a Kabbalist. You don't have to resort to all sorts of like esoteric means to divine it. If you love them, if you are committed to making the relationship work, then that's it. That's your soulmate. So, and then if you actually marry them, in retrospect, for sure they were your soulmate. This has happened to me more than once, oddly enough. Um, people who are about to name their child and they come up to me and they say, I'm terrified. And it's like, why? Because maybe I'll give my child the wrong name. And it's like, you know, you don't understand. Whatever you name them, once you name them, that will have been their name all along. It's like Bashert kicks in retroactively. And so you can't go wrong. Whatever you name them is going to be the thing. Ultimately, who your soulmate is, someone who you want to be with. And ultimately, your purpose in life. What is it that I want to do? Well, I want to do a lot of things. Well, what do you want to do right now? In other words, that, that then becomes your soulmate, so to speak, on the, on the, on the purpose level, on the work level. Uh, I'll tell you a story, and I thought this was very awesome. I, many years ago, out, out here in Los Angeles, there was someone, I don't want to mention his name, but a, a very gifted singer, like gifted. Like he sang and you were like, wow, that's not a normal voice. That's like a professional, gifted professional voice. Um, and he was having some success and he was also, he was also becoming, you know, more committed to keeping the Torah and keeping Shabbos. And he got this big opportunity um, you know, in the music world, jobs, well, in the entertainment field in general, jobs are scarce. And if you get one, that's a very big deal. Um, and so, so he got this big opportunity, but, but he was going to have to work on Shabbos. And this was really right at the beginning of his becoming more committed to, to wanting to do these things. So he asked me, he said, what should I do? And Reb Shlomo Karlbach was not in town that often. You know, he was traveling around the world all the time. It just so happens that he was in, the, in, in town at that time. I said, what are you asking me for? Ask Reb Shlomo. So he met with Reb Shlomo and listened to what Reb Shlomo told him. He said, now again, what was his question? Should he take this big opportunity, which was a well-paying job, but he'd have to work on Shabbos? And he was just at the beginning, but he was committing. It was at the time when he really did want to commit. So Reb Shlomo said to him, have you ever thought someone was your soulmate, but really they weren't? And that's how he phrased his relationship with this job offer. In other words, this job offer looks like maybe it's your soulmate, but it really isn't. Because how could it be if it's going to stop you from keeping Shabbos? That's what he was telling him. And then he told me this after the fact. I wasn't there when Reb Shlomo said it to him. And he didn't take that position. And he's been keeping Shabbos ever since. And it's decades later at this point. You know, an amazing, an amazing, amazing thing. What do you want to do right now? And, and my wife, who does dating coach type stuff and, and gives people advice and She's got one rule that I hear her say all the time to people, which is, 
you know, you go on that first date and now you have all sorts of questions. There's this issue and that issue. And she just always says the same thing back. Did you have a good time with the person? <laughs> and the person says, yes. And then she says, well, then go on the next date <laughs> and keep on going on the next date. This is assuming that the person is appropriate. Keep on going on the next date until, <laughs> until you stop having a good time. It's getting back to that mind-melting question, is this my soulmate? Well, if you love them, if you are enjoying them, if this is a job or an activity that you enjoy doing, then that's what it is. Then ask yourself, is this serving a larger purpose in the world? Does the world need this also? And if the answer is yes, then it's a shidduch, then it's a match, then just then go for it. Okay, so this time of the year, we're blessed with extra degrees of clarity. Why? Because we're more in touch with our souls. Because all of the outside stuff has gone away. Yom Kippur has gotten rid of all of this incrustation on our soul. It's cleaned it clear. And so now we can hear ourselves think better. Have you ever been in like a really loud room or a concert where or have you ever heard anyone say, I mean, I, I've certainly experienced this. Like sometimes you're davening in shul and like stuff is going on. And you, you here's the phrase, you can't hear yourself think. <laughs> have you? Everyone must have experienced that, right? So, but this is the time when you can hear yourself think. But you know what that means? That means you have to listen. Now you have to listen. See, I, I, I think that one thing that I just want to, I don't say this enough, and I feel like I need to say this now. There, is, there are all sorts of divine openings and things like that. Like, like Sukkot is like this amazing opportunity where basically it's, it's a holiday of integration. Everything is coming together. And in fact, I'm going to go over a, a verse from Kahelis in a moment. Kahelis is the wisdom or one book of wisdom from King Solomon, Shlomo Melech, like the wisest man. And the word Kahelis itself means gathering. And we always read this book on, on, on Sukkot because it's, it's a gathering of teachings, but it's also talking about being an integrated person. And I... I heard a teaching from Rav Frimmer in the Eretzvi that was awesome. You ready for this? This ingathering, this integration is happening on every conceivable level in terms of, and, and in terms of your own body. How so? The mind and the heart are coming together. Now, listen to this. This is awesome. And the lulav is the spine and so the spine is connecting the mind and the heart, right? Because that, anatomically, that, that, that's how it works. So, so you, even see, you even see it reflected in the arbiminum, in the four species. This idea that you yourself are becoming more integrated. And again, that's the... The spine is representing this central nervous system, which is connecting all the parts of your body together in a coherent whole, but especially the mind and the heart. But here's the point I want to emphasize. 
It's not magic. What it means is that there are openings available for us to get tremendous success and make like bonus point progress in these areas now. We have to do the work. And then there's this extra blessing that exists, which put wings, so to speak, on our efforts and make them more successful now. So I I just think that that's important because Torah is not passive. Torah is very, very active. So this is what we have to be working on right now. Now that we can hear our own souls, now we have to listen. (laughs) And then when something emerges, then we put it through the next set of steps. Is this something I really want to do? Because I got to really want to do it. If not, then you can say, okay, so what else you got? (laughs) You got to have more than one idea here. Come on. What's the next idea, right? And then you can actively be thinking with your mind as well. See, remember, ideally, the mind is directing the body. But, but, But if the mind is not actively directing the body, the heart is directing the mind. That's how it works. Okay? So, so you want the mind and the heart to be friends and to be doing working synergetically, but you don't want the heart leading the mind astray. That, that's the thing. Okay? So, so what's happening right now is we've been cleaned of all of our outside junk. Our soul is clear. Our pockets have been emptied so we can move and we can execute. And, and our minds now are in a place where they're properly aligned with our heart in terms of directing our heart. That, that's, that's all these things. And if you want to get a little bit more cosmic right now, the word sukkah, spelled with a vav, because it's, it's spelled with a vav sometimes, without a vav other times, but it's also spelled with a vav, adds up to 91, which is this awesome number in Torah. 91, we know, is the, the, the sum of, of two divine names, Yudke Vavke and Aleph Dalad Nunin Yud, which basically stands for heaven and earth, right? We're kind of doing shorthand right now. But but on, in the sukkah itself and on sukkahs, you really have this awesome integration of heaven and earth. And the mind, so to speak, is heaven, because that's the seat of the soul. And then you have the heart, which is basically earth right there. So heaven and earth are coming together there as well. So you see, like in all good Torah, it's worlds within worlds within worlds within worlds, right? So that's, that, that's what's going on. And they're all aligning in the most amazing, beautiful way. Now, I want to read you something from Kehelis. Again, this is in English, we translate it as... Uh, Ecclesiastes, which I don't, I have no clue what that word means. <laughs> but Kahelis, just to the ear, just sounds like a million times better. But um, just in case you're wondering uh, what Kahelis is. Oh, yeah, I've heard of Ecclesiastes. Um, all right, let me read you from chapter 6, verse 1 here, okay? And I think this is devastating. I think this is absolutely devastating because what Shlomo Melech is going to say right now, King Solomon, is really like, 
I'm sure you can think of people who fall into this category. But you may have not even known that this category exists until you hear this. So uh, hopefully a lot of clarity will come just from hearing these words, okay? So I'm just going to read it here from the Art Scroll translation. So again, this is King Solomon speaking. There is an evil that I have observed beneath the sun, meaning here in society, and it is prevalent among mankind. In other words, I'll just put that in modern English. There's something that's really terrible and it's happening all the time. Okay? A person to whom God has given riches, wealth, and honor, and he lacks nothing that the heart could desire, yet God did, yet God did not give them the power to enjoy it. Did you hear that? A person who has absolutely everything, but God didn't give them the power to enjoy it. Instead, a stranger will enjoy it. And then he goes on to say, and again, I'm paraphrasing, that that person is like basically the living dead. That person's like, might as well be dead. So they've been given all these blessings, but they haven't been given the power to enjoy it. Now, I'm going to tell you a story that I heard from one of Johnny Carson's writers. Okay, so Johnny Carson, for everyone over a certain age, is like, oh, of course, Johnny Carson. Like, who doesn't know Johnny Carson? And under a certain age, they'll be like, who's Johnny Carson? So just just for that demo, if there is anyone listening in that demo, I will tell you who Johnny Carson was. Before there were a million channels on television and streaming networks and things like that, there were three networks. That's it. There were only three places where you could watch high-quality television. That was NBC, CBS, and ABC. And late night, there was only one show that all of America was watching. And not only was all of America watching it at 11.30 p.m., they were watching it every single night, five nights a week, every night. So he was, he was known as the king of late-night television, but he was really like what America went to sleep by. And so his, he, he had this cultural position of dominance for decades, decades. Okay, so that's who Johnny Carson was. Now, I heard this from one of his writers who, who I worked with, okay? I, I didn't work on that show. And it's called The Tonight Show, which now, if I'm not mistaken, is, is run by Jimmy Fallon. So that franchise is still very much on the air. But now you have a lot of choices for late night. Before, there was only one address for it. Okay. So listen to this, because this is really tragic. And it's exactly this verse from Cahelis, which is why I'm telling you this story right now. Johnny Carson, who owned America, owned it, owned it, every night before he taped his show, would say to himself, this is the day that I lose my entire audience.
Did you hear that? This is the day that I lose my entire audience. In other words, here's a person who for three decades approximately owned America in terms of their attention span and their loyalty. And I don't know if he enjoyed a day of it. So, so we can't be that person. <laughs> we absolutely cannot be that person. I, I, I talked to someone the other day who just was very kind of frustrated. He, he was not kind of whatever. He was just kind of in this frustrated place and just felt like he wasn't where he wanted to be in life. But I had just mentioned this this verse, you know, and he had just heard it and everything. And I just, when he said this to me, like, I don't know how I would have reacted unless I had just learned this. And I just turned to him and I said, just very simply, I said, you know what? Just enjoy. <laughs> and he heard that and he went, thank you for saying that. Like, I would imagine people's response over the years to what he had just shared with me would have been, well, do this, do that, do this, do that. You're not doing enough of this. Should be doing, doing much more of that. But, and I wasn't trying to be smart. I just was like, I had just gone over this verse. I was just like, just enjoy. And, and so that's, that, that's my recommendation. And how do we enjoy? You say, well, I can enjoy. I can enjoy. How can I enjoy when this is going on and that's going on? So let's go back to this epic, epic teaching from Rob Frummer, again, from the Eretz So awesome. He says, how do you know if you have clarity? And remember, we haven't used that word, I don't think, yet. But this is, this is clarity. This is the time of clarity. That's what I'm saying. Because you can hear your soul again. This is clarity right now. How do you know if you have clarity? There's a test, very simple test. You ready? If you're giving thanks. And, and then that means if you're not giving thanks, you don't have clarity. So if you're trying to make a decision in your life, like would you, would you look for something? Like, there's a story. I, I hope I'm telling it right. It's about someone who, I think he was a drunk or something like that. I, I don't remember the details of the story. I just remember the end, but the end is so good. Basically, he lost something. And someone sees him looking, 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 and they, they, they say, okay, I'm going to help you look. And they're out in the street, and they're looking, looking, and and. They, the person who wants to help sees that he's under this street lamp looking very carefully. And the, the person who wants to help says to him, is this where you lost it? And he says, no, but the light is much better here. <laughs> so this person has no clarity. So you want to make a decision in your life. How can you do it without having clarity? 
So now I'm telling you how to get clarity. I'm just telling you what Rob Frimmer says, but it's Emmis. This is the truth. First, get into a position of thanks and be grateful. Think about everything that you have. Thank God for everything that you have. And you say, well, what do I have? Well, for most of us, right? You have your eyes, you have your ears, you have your skin, <laughs> right? You have your tongue, you have your arms, you have your legs. I mean, you have, you could just start right there. And then you're going to realize if you start right there, you're going to realize that you have more than that. Even. I heard Rob, Rabbi Green say one time, an amazing story. said that there was someone who was like a child who was wandering around in the desert, completely lost. This child had been abandoned, was going to like die alone in the desert. And a wealthy person comes by, just, you know, just a bracha, a blessing, just finds him, takes him home, adopts him brings him into his house, feeds him, clothes him, raises him, educates him. And, and then at a certain point, this same person whose house it was, right, brings in another poor person. And the first person who had been brought into the house says, who are you in my home? <laughs> who are you to be taking my resources? This person who's equally a guest in this man's home all of a sudden thinks that all this stuff is mine and belongs to me. Do, do you understand? We're telling the story of each of us in this world. So Rabbi Green goes on and he, this is amazing. He says, those eyes, those eyes, your eyes, your eyes. I'm talking to you right now. Your eyes. They belong to you? They're yours? Where's the receipt? Show me the receipt. Show me the receipt that you paid for your eyes. Your ears? Those are yours? Your heart? That's yours? Show me the receipt. I want to see where you purchased it. I want to see the document that you, that you got it for yourself and that you own it, that you purchased it. It's everything's a gift. It's all a gift. 100% of everything is a gift. So you go, what? I'm going to start thanking God for my eyes? These are my eyes. Come on. Give me a break. Nothing's yours. Nothing. Everything's a gift. All right, so that's the beginning of clarity. Then you get to gratitude. Then you can start to think clearly. <laughs> So that's a, that's a great thing. So, okay, so we have to have an attitude of gratitude. That's a, getting an incoming message here <laughs> to Hashem. So let me, um, let me share with you one more thing, one more thing, which is just a thought that I had and 
you, you can take it or leave it. But I was wondering, what is cholamoid? So that's kind of a, a fancy term if you're not familiar with it. Basically, two times a year, we have this thing called, also known as the in-between days. Right? What, are, what, what is this time-space construct called the in-between days? And I'll, I'll explain it a little bit better. So we've got two holidays in the year that are seven-day holidays, two seven-day holidays. Outside of Israel, we celebrate them for eight days. And that's the holiday of Pesach. And it's the holiday of Sukkot that we're in right now. So if you're in Israel, the first day and the last day are, it's Yantif, right? It's a holiday. So that means it's like Shabbos. You're not, you're not driving. You're not going to work. You're not spending money. You're not using electricity. You're preparing the meals in advance, everything like that. It's very festive. So, so that's the first day and the last day. Or outside the land, it's the first two days and the last two days because it's eight days. Okay, that's fine. But then you've got the in-between six days, right? <laughs> or, or five days. And those have a special status because it's not a holiday. You can use electricity. I mean, ideally, you don't go to work, but if you need to go to work because there's going to be a big financial loss, you can go to work. You can get in your car. You can do all sorts of everyday type things. But it's still within the holiday itself. So it's like a normal day, but hold on, it's not a normal day. Like the whole prayer structure and everything like that is, is you know, kind of like we have to be aware of it. And in fact, how seriously... Does the Talmud take these in-between days, again called Cholamoid, right? That if you disregard them totally, it's like you're an idol worshiper. Can you imagine? So that's like, wow, okay. So they're taking it very seriously. But it's weird for me to take it seriously because I don't have to do anything extra. And they have like carnivals and things like that, all sorts of activities are set up to use these days in festive special ways, but where you can also get in your car and drive and tap into the every, everydayness of it. And you're supposed to wear better clothing and eat better food during these in-between days, but the overwhelming thing is they feel like every day. You know, I'm reminded of a story my father used to tell, which applies to this, and it's sort of a, a larger, more interesting point in and of itself as well. So back in the day, this is now very old-fashioned. This was, like when I was a young kid, they did this, but already when I was growing up, they stopped doing it. Um, but if you, got, if you got like a cut, they would put iodine on it. Okay, that was like the, the first thing everyone did. You got a cut, they ran for the iodine. First stop. And anyone who's had iodine put into, an, even if it's a little cut, knows one thing. Ow, it really hurts. Okay, and then it would like stain your skin. It was really like a really clumsy medicine. But, but apparently it worked and everyone swore by it. And it's just sort of, like I say, the first address, iodine. 
Well, my dad told me that someone, you know, business-minded, smart, smart person, said, why does iodine have to hurt? Maybe I can make an iodine that doesn't sting. And he was successful. He came up with an iodine that didn't sting. And you ready for this? Nobody bought it. You know why? Because if it didn't hurt, people thought it didn't work. (laughs) Now that is a very big life lesson there. A lot of people are suspicious of things which are the best advice in the entire world because it sounds too easy. Now, some of it, you have to know who you're hearing it from and if it's coming from the Torah, if it's not coming from the Torah. You know, there are things that sounds too good to be true because it is too big to, it is too good to be true. You know, like these like fast money scams and things like that. You know, you should be very suspicious about those because those often are too good to be true. However, there are other things which don't have to hurt and work. Like, for instance, one of the ancient enemies of Israel was this person called Naaman, right? So he was like the head of the Iranians, basically. I mean, in in contemporary terms, he was a big enemy of the Jewish people. And he got saras, which was this form of leprosy and was really nasty. And he went to every place to try to get it healed. And of course, he didn't want to go to a prophet of the Jewish people because he was, he was an enemy of the Jews. But he had this Jewish servant. And this Jewish servant said, you know, I'm telling you, this guy, the prophet Elisha, he, he's really, he can help you. And so finally, Naaman hit so many dead ends in terms of trying to get his leprosy cured, his saras, that he was like, ah, all right, come on, I'll go to Elisha. So he goes, he travels, he meets with Elisha, the prophet, right? Remember, Elisha was the, the protege um, of, of Eliyahu, right? Elijah, the prophet, so, you know. And, and it says, Elisha did more miracles than Eliyahu, okay? So, by the way, we learned that from a very interesting thing, that if you, if you are, we should all live long, but if you are by someone at the moment that they pass from this world to the next world, that is a very special moment. And, like, it's a conduit of blessings, Okay? So because Elisha was by Eliyahu at the time that Eliyahu ascended to heaven, as a result, like, like he was blessed to be able to do twice as much as Elijah. Okay. So, so there's sort of contemporary applications to this, but, but anyway, Naaman goes to Elisha, the prophet, and Elisha says, you should basically take a mikvah, Go and dunk yourself in the Jordan River seven times. I do seven dunks, by the way. By the way, um, I learned from Reb Shlomo uh, that the Baal Shem Tov immersed seven times. So if you, you know, if you go to the mikveh and you want to do it according to the 
the way the Baal Shem Tov did it, it's, it's seven, seven times. And I'll teach you something that I learned from Rabbi Green about anyone who wants to, sometimes people like to do gematrias of certain words in the mikvah. I don't know, I never really got into that so much, but, but that can be very exhausting, <laughs> like going up and down and up and down. It's like a real cardio workout, right? But, but the idea is, is that if you even have one hair out of the mikvah, then it doesn't count as a complete immersion. That's why, like, for the women, there's a someone who works at the mikvah to make sure that you're completely immersed. Men don't have that because men going to the mikvah is a kind of a different thing. It's not nearly as strict as when women go. But anyway, the idea is that anything that breaks the water line is, is no good, okay? So as such, that opens up a big opportunity. So I learned that if you want to go multiple times, all you have to do is stick your finger out of the water. <laughs> you just go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. <laughs> and then, anyway, so if, you've, if you are a mystic and you're trying to get to some higher number and you don't want to give yourself a heart attack, you can just kind of raise your finger up and down. Anyway. So... Alicia didn't go to the Jordan. <laughs> Why? Because he said, it's too easy. It's too easy. I've put in all this effort. I've hit every dead end in the world. And you're going to tell me all I have to do is up and down in the Jordan River seven times and everything's going to be better for me? Give me a break. I'm not even going to bother. And so his servant said, you went all the way here. Are you not going to do that? So he's like, ah, <laughs> all right, I'll do it. And he did it and he was cured. It doesn't have to hurt in order to work. Okay, so now let's get back to Cholomoid. It seems like the days are just like ordinary days. So what what is this idea? If it just seems so easy, they're just regular days. Okay, so now I'm going to give you my answer. You see, when we have Shabbos, 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 by the way, has two names. Shabbos, right? So in other words, there's the days of the week and there's Shabbos. Shabbos is different from the days of the week. And in fact, it's the last creation that God made. A lot of people don't know that. Like if you imagine time space as a carpet that's being just rolled down, a lot of people think that it's like that carpet, so to speak, is the first seven days, right? But it's not. It's the first six days, <laughs> And the seventh day is made out of something else. Shabbos is made out of something else. Okay? What's the last creation? Human beings. Man, right? It goes up, right? Because it's it's actually, people pointed out, very Darwinian. Or Darwin is very much in sync with the order of creation as explained in the Torah. Because you've got lower life forms 
And then on the sixth day, man is created. And then woman is created. <laughs> so there's a very big, strong argument right from the Torah itself that women are on an even higher level than man. Because woman is created after man and we're going up. So, so in case you think that's the end of the story, there's one more creation. Shabbos. Shabbos is the last creation. And of course, the Messianic era, which this is just a microcosm, the first seven days are just a microcosm of all of human history. The last stage is the Messianic period, which is called what? The day that will be all Shabbos. So it makes sense that Shabbos is this separate creation because Shabbos correlates with Olam Abba, right? And every time we have Shabbos, a regular Shabbos, it's a little taste of the future world that's going to happen. Okay, so you get to the end of Shabbos, and now you're making Havdalah, and now you're about to go back into the normal days of the week. In other words, you have this, this little pool, this little kind of like this one little vessel that draws down the future world every single week. That's Shabbos. Like, that's why it's so holy. Um, that's why it's paradise. You know, I asked Reb Shlomo, I said, of all the mitzvahs to like really focus on and to make a campaign, you know, not that it was an organized campaign, but it was a worldwide campaign that he did single-handedly. I asked him, why Shabbos? And he said to me, because people need more paradise in their lives. That's what he said. And Shabbos really is this, like this vessel that's drawing down the future world, right? That seventh day, which is correlating with the seventh millennium, right? Which is the era of perfection. It's flowing into, like, as soon as it becomes nighttime, Friday night, to Saturday night, there's like this vessel that's created, and it's holding, it's holding perfection. Okay, but then what happens? What happens when you're making Havdalah? You're leaving Shabbos, you go right back into the week. Okay, so everybody knows, and it's a whole subject in itself, we're not going to get into it, but everybody knows that what you want to do, if you're really like, really kind of like dedicated and focused, you want to bring Shabbos into the days of the week. And there are all sorts of ways to do it. And we begin by making a Malava Malka, right? That's the Feast of King David. That's the transfer of the energy of Shabbos into the week itself. But what I'm saying is, right now, that's up to you to do. In other words, here's Shabbos, here's the day of the week. Do you want to bring Shabbos into the day of the week? Well, that's up to you. Okay, fine. Now, I want to tell you something about Cholomoyed. Here's what I, I think, to my understanding, God is doing. God has created, or at least at one level, God has created this amazing structure where he's got a holiday and then it goes into these days of the week and then he's got another holiday. And these days of the week, they're not just normal days of the week, but they're not a holiday. <laughs> In other words, God has 
created this bank of normalcy that he's bringing the holiday into. In other words, God is elevating the days of the week. And he's doing it over this incremental level where soon all of the days of the week are just going to be one long holiday. That's going to be the year that we're going to. But it's happening in this isolated, controlled way where you've got holiday, days of the week, holiday, and these days of the week, not normal days of the week. They are, but they aren't. They're holy, but they're regular. So God is taking just regular regularness, okay? And he's doing it for us. And then to the extent that we participate in that by really saying, hey, these aren't just regular days. These are also special days. Then we're participating in that amazing process that's happening in front of our eyes. So, Havdalah, every week you have an opportunity. You can drop back to the first day of the week. I think this is what most people do, because one of the names of Shabbos is Yom Shvi, the seventh day. And then people make Havdalah, and it becomes the first day of the week. Or, I think you can choose to go to the eighth day of the week. <laughs> In other words, you can go up from there. If you incorporate Shabbos energy into the week at that moment, you can turn that first day of the week into the eighth day of the week. So now let's apply this to what we were just saying about how um, Shemini Atzeris, this brand new holiday, is called the eighth day, but it's the first day. Do you see, do you see, do you see the parallel? It's, it's the first day, but it's also the eighth day. It's a new holiday that makes it sort of like the first day. But it's coming off of Hoshana Rabbah, which, by the way, is the seventh day, which correlates with King David. And now it's going from King David, right, which is this, the notion of this, the messianic era, into the eighth day. And, of course, everybody knows the classic Maral. A lot of people don't know that the Maral said this. But the Maral says the number eight is one above seven, which means that it stands for the supernatural order. It's because seven days of the week, right, there's... A lot of sevens in nature. But when you get to the eight, you're going to this level above nature, beyond nature. So, so that's the idea that Sukkot is going into Shmini Atzeris, which is this like completely just other realm, you know, and everything has been leading up to that. And it's a very special, very special day and a very special day for the Jewish people, um, especially. Because on Sukkot, um, the Jewish people bring um, offerings on behalf of all the nations. Like, it's a very beautiful thing. It's a very, again, this idea of Sukkot being this uniting energy. It's, 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 it's taking place within our bodies, our hearts, and our minds. Remember, the lulav is like a, the spinal cord, right? The central nervous system. Like, we are becoming more coherent individuals. Heaven and earth, right? Sukkah is 91, and that's heaven and earth together. But you also have the Jewish people um, bringing offerings on behalf of all the nations. In other words, all the world is getting together. All the peoples of the world are getting together. The Medrash says 
It's like a king who has his seven-day-long feast. And at the end of the feast, he says, everyone go home. And then he turns to one person and he says, please don't leave me yet. I can't bear for you to leave me too. Will you just stay with me? Just us private. We'll have like a little private after party. And that's what they say is God's relationship with the Jewish people on Shmini Atzeres. In other words, we've just brought offerings on behalf of all the nations. We're all together, and now they're all leaving at the end of this seven days, beautiful festival. Everyone's going home. But God says, can you stay a little bit longer? I I can't bear for you to leave. And then one extra amazing thing about Shmini Atzeres, which just shows you how high it is, is that there's nothing associated with it. No lulav and esrog anymore. No sukkah anymore. No shofar. No fasting. It's just what it is. It's just like a be here now. It's just like, it's just us. It's just us. And that's the most ecstatic, it's like ecstatic nothingness, right? It's just, ah, it's just us. And so that, that's where we're heading. That, that's, that's like we're right at the precipice of it, right? It's about to be Hoshana Rava. It's about to be the eighth day. That's where we are right now. Okay. Um, tonight is Hoshana Rava. And there's a very holy tradition to stay up all night. All night learning Torah. Um, Maybe I'll send out a link. I'm going to be teaching from 3 a.m. to 5 a.m. Okay, so in different parts of the world, that that might actually be a normal time. (laughs) But but you should know there's a debate between the Gomorrah and the Zohar. The, The Gomorrah says that the end of judgment is Yom Kippur. The Zohar says the end of judgment is Hoshana Rabbah. Okay? So... So Hoshana Rab is a very big deal. It's the last day of Sukkot. Make the most of it, whether you're staying up all night or not. Just do extra mitzvahs, give extra charity, because it's a normal day of the week, but it's absolutely not a normal day of the week. That is its greatness, okay? And it's the culmination that we're going to have one more holiday, which um, is for another time, I guess. But uh, that's Shmini Atzeris, by the way the eighth day. And by the way, just, just as long as we're on the subject, just very quickly, it's a separate holiday in the Torah. And let's just take two minutes to appreciate that. A lot of people think that it's, hey, it's just more Sukkot. It's not more Sukkot. It is a separate holiday. There is nothing like this in the entire year, in the entire Torah, where one holiday goes into an entirely different other holiday. And the amazing thing is this entirely new holiday is called the eighth day. Now, how can you start a brand new holiday and call it the eighth day? Can you imagine? I say to you, hey, listen, let's meet. Let's have a business meeting. Okay, here's the address to my office. You go to the building and the first floor is eight stories up in the air. <laughs> is this a building that's floating in the air? And you're like, well, that, that's his office building? How am I supposed to get there? How do I get up there? 
There's nothing underneath it. It's a separate holiday called the eighth day. It's just floating. And this is the apex, apex, apex of everything that we've been working toward. And of course, it also contains Simcha's Torah, where we finish the Torah and start the Torah anew. And remember the classic teaching from the Kutzka Rebbe, why are we celebrating on Simcha's Torah? You ready? We'll end on this thought. Because we've gotten to the end of the Torah. This is why we're celebrating. We're celebrating because we've gotten to the end of the Torah and we realize we haven't even begun it yet. (laughs) Thanks for listening. We do this every week. So join in again next Sunday for our new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.